0: Love it. Actually record permission from you, but I'll I'll edit this part out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Power Passion Podcast. I've got with me Sam. Sam is a futurist, an actor, and a writer. How are you doing, mate?
1: Mate, I'm bloody excellent. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem.
0: Just on that, I uh, had a read, obviously, of um, one of your bios on LinkedIn. And when it comes to the future of, uh, I suppose, jobs and the way that it's moving, there's a lot of... uh, disgruntled opinion out there, and I don't actually see why that is, because if you actually like look at um, the race to AI, and especially sentient AI, they've been doing it for ages. There's like winters, and it's just like, I'm very like, I'm passionate about it. And I look at it, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I mean, they've been trying for ages, and it seems to be just different narratives, and I'm not that scared of the dystopian world where we're like removed, you know?
1: Well, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of it, mate. It's, it's, it, the thing that makes it very confusing, I think, for a lot of people, um, including the experts, is that everyone has their own opinion, you know? It, it really will uh, really depend on who you ask to what kind of timeline you get, uh, which is very very interesting. Even the experts seem to be um, confused as to the due date, if you will, to um, when Sentient AI is uh, are coming.
0: Absolutely. So just um, obviously, let's let's diverge a little bit to writing because that's one of my passions, and I find that's uh, one of the things that's really led to uh, me fine-tuning and focusing my work ethics because uh, I'm very passionate about it. So I'm just using my passion in other elements of my life, and it seems to work very, very uh, viscerally and uh, very really for me. Uh, as I use verbose vo- vo- vocabulary unnecessarily just then. Um, more importantly, it's just the point I'm trying to make is for writing, have you always been a writer? Can you remember like what you first, when you first
1: started that? Or Yeah, mate, uh, I started teaching myself guitar around the age of like 17 um, and it really just started as I first started like learning covers and then slowly over time just started dabbling with writing in that sense uh, writing songs and that kind of thing, um, which started out as a hobby. But then the more I did, it became uh, more and more of a fully fledged um, passion, I suppose you could say. And then later on, it actually, I realized that it could actually be uh, my calling. I don't know. It, it could be one of the things that I'm actually yeah. maybe quite decent at that uh, gives me a lot of satisfaction and uh, um, kind of hones in on, uh, where my mind's at you know I find that like it can be a wonderful way whether it's writing a song or whether it's writing about your interests to kind of alchemize and integrate your life experiences and hone in on uh, perhaps your subconscious in a strange way you know like being able a, to a metric,
0: just check where you're at yeah
1: absolutely I agree yeah. it really it really is just checking in with yourself and uh, I think that that kind of blossomed into a love affair of just writing in general and writing about the things that I'm interested in. And now that's kind of, you know, uh, turned into AI and technology and science and something that swallowed me whole. And now that's starting to seep into the music. And it's kind of strange how it all kind of, um, uh, it really just took on its own exponential um, growth that has now um, uh, turned into something that I really have no other, no control over. I mean, it's like, I, I can't stop. I can't stop doing it. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm hooked, I'm addicted when it comes to writing because, for me, I, I just have this kind of, I suppose, thirst for searching for truth because, obviously, there's the cliche kind of phrase that, you know, history is written by the victors. You think to yourself, well, okay, we reached a stage where everyone's written a book, everyone's, you know, pretty much got an opinion, and that's not to say that people shouldn't be heard, but it's typically speaking very... Uh, unclear as to how to find truth at all but especially in the age of
1: fake news that we live in today right yeah
0: exactly mate exactly mate so it's kind of like uh for me it's uh it's just a quest in the search for uh for meaning i suppose
1: yeah well i mean to your point history is uh decided by the victors i'm i've gotten very into the show vikings recently have you given it a crack
0: I actually haven't. No, go on, tell
1: me. It, it's about it's it. It. it's wonderful. It, it, it's it's based around 793 to around uh, I suppose the mid eight eight hundreds, um, and it follows uh, when Norway was kind of becoming Norway and Scandinavia as a whole was um, blossoming into the trading uh, station or multiple stations that it would eventually become, and it. What's quite interesting is that we, the only information we have of Vikings, I mean, when you think of Vikings, what do you kind of, you know, you, it, it, there's like I a, just no,
0: think of uh, some barbarian that's right? eating a chicken wing, and, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like the savages, you know, like, but, but I mean, who's to, who's to say that that was 100% the case? Because the only records we have of Vikings are from the people that they raided. I mean, <laughs> I mean can you be more biased, you know? Like one-sided, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The reason why I love this show is because it kind of paints the picture of not just the English, but also the Scandinavians, and you get to kind of follow both sides of the coin, and it really paints a like a three um, three dimensional uh, an impression, a three dimensional impression of these people and their culture and um, what they believed in. And the, the wonderful thing is, is that the more time you spend with them, you actually realize it's not that different to um, the English, except with perhaps the mild difference that they sacrifice the odd goat occasionally, you know?
0: <laughs> just, just occasionally, just yeah. cheerily. <laughs> no, just cheerily. I, um, I recently have been... I, I go through phases because I, I'm, I'm so into my reading and obviously research right now that I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of TV series. But I must admit my best mate has wrote me into uh, Mr Robot, And I love how that that kind of uh, taps into this uh, futuristic but very dystopian view of how, uh, I suppose, tech companies, if we're going to take reality right now, could fuse into, like, one giant, uh, I suppose, tech corporation, in which case in relation to that show would be Evil Corp. Um, I find that very fascinating just because, um, well, it seems to be that everyone knows that, data, and data science in particular, by these big tech companies has used, been used to hack behavioral psychology, how we buy things, affect culture, and I really, um, it's, well, it irks me, and that's why I'm doing my tech startup, because eventually, admittedly, I'm gonna have to use some data, but I'm also going to be very transparent about it. Because for me, I feel as though it's, it's, I'm almost like a modern day Robin Hood, I suppose, in the next 30 years, hopefully get the data and privacy back in the hands of the users. Now I, that's probably, you could say foolish naivety on behalf of me, but but yeah, shows like that just like spark my imagination and I just think, well, okay, if no one's doing anything about this then. I suppose I have to. It's not not to say that I'm like the best equipped, but do you know what I mean, Sam. It's like sometimes you feel okay. Well, if no one's doing it, then I must have to do it. You know. And what I mean?
1: think I think that's the exact right attitude to have, or at least f- f- um find um other people who can help you along the way that can try and you know uh s- spurge on that 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 mission statement. I totally agree. I think data is um is worth its weight uh, even more so than gold these days. But but no one has real there's no real um rule books that have been written on how do we get the someone's the, the individuals data back into their own hands because the, the this is like uh, ushering in a new age of technology where we don't know um, really how to, how to approach this in the coming decades because it hasn't been a problem before. You know, I actually, I'll out myself, I've never seen Mr. Robot, but I've heard wonderful things about, um, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, like, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty good um. After after what you just said, I feel like I need to watch it now because I didn't know that's what the show was about. I um, but that's uh, you certainly enticed me.
0: Um, yeah, no, it's funny because uh, me and my best mate, who I won't I won't mention, um, but he jokes around every time we catch up as he goes uh, he's, he pretends that he's selling morphine because the main character in Mr. Robot is addicted to morphine because he's this very kind of like geeky programmer hacker guy, socially awkward, but also uh, he's uh. I think he's psychologically inept too, but that, that's on behalf of what modern society depicts him as. So it's kind of, you see his perspective in this person that is, I suppose, in a society where it's kind of like he knows things that other people don't know and because he's very socially awkward, he just expresses it through computer programming. Mm. Whereas if he was more extroverted and more, I suppose, let's just use the stereotype of a jock, Say, if he was that guy, then he might actually be able to communicate uh,
1: his feelings. But instead, but, he gets broken but, but, up. More but, I'm, but I'm guessing that the, even, even though he might have this kind of like socially awkward kind of persona, that in a sense, I mean, if you think, I don't really know anything about the character, but I'm guessing, I'm going out on a limb here, that, sure. that uh, social ineptitude, if you will, has kind of led to perhaps the hacking and uh, computer skills that uh he has in the show that go on to make a considerable difference in other areas
0: correct yeah absolutely that's the, the line of i um i haven't watched like the entirety because there's a lot of seasons but the few episodes that i have watched have been. well i suppose you could say they're rather depressing but at the same time it's very interesting I, i'd say pessimistic pessimistic is the better word to use yeah
1: yeah well i mean yeah. that's uh, it's it's interesting um Do you think that, or do we ever see uh, behind uh, closed doors of said, you know, um, massive company, this tech company that has become kind of like uh, all of these information um, technology companies combined? Do we ever see characters behind that? Or is it kind of just this like corporation without a face?
0: Yes. So in the plot line, there's uh, obviously Evil Corp. Evil Corp is kind of, I suppose you could kind of classify it in the ranks of, in reality, Google, you could probably say that. And the, within that, it's but it's Google, it's demonised. It's more demonised. It's exaggerated for film. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, And Evil Corp is kind of like run by this sociopathic business person who happens to be French and there's various scenes where he's like being like a mobster and just doing some stupid stuff and he, you know, sleeps with French models and it's just... It's a, it's a very well it's a very good show, obviously it was won awards, but um but more importantly um, like, like an evil Tony
1: Stark <laughs> almost. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> more more importantly, because we're on the, the topic of film, when it comes to you and acting, um I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb here myself. So with Please. writing with writing that obviously helps you with the role, right? Writing would absolutely get you entranced in a role.
1: Absolutely, mate. I think that the biggest thing that I've learned along, uh, along along the way is that acting, writing, directing, in some ways, even music, they're all, they can kind of lend themselves to each other. And I think the more I learn about one, it actually does inform the others. You know, like, I think that the best directors have also at one point been actors and vice versa with actors because they just understand the role. They they understand the other perspective and because of that, they know how to um, be flexible and adaptive so that they can be just a better partner.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I suppose the um, overt example of kind of method acting that I look fondly upon is, uh, well, first and foremost, Heath Heath Ledger, not Heath Ledger, he was a legend. He was um, a legend. God bless his soul. Um, um, in The Joker, and then obviously Christian Bale in kind of like American Psycho. I think those are two notable roles for me that I think are like the best examples of method acting. To the like Side
1: my favorite film.
0: Yeah, yeah. So just on that, I suppose for you, when it comes to inspiration and acting, what, what would be the steps for anyone that's watching that would like, like to venture into acting, how would they go about doing it? Obviously, it's a not one size fits. It's not a one size fits all approach, uh, I would assume. But you tell me, how would a person go about it if they were going to portray a character?
1: Well, I like. I think the I think that one of the most important things to keep in mind that I didn't really understand when I was starting out is that. It's all really everything comes back to story. I think it's easy to um, think about the character uh, in isolation sometimes, but really the character is determined by the context in which they're placed you know what is the, the story that they are involved in are the levers that turn and uh construct their personality and their like, their um the the relationships they form throughout their life, um, so I think the best advice that I'd have for anyone that wants to get into acting is just become fall in love with story, you know, whether it's story in plays, in books, in TV, in film. What are the stories that you love? Why do you love them? The directors, how do you? How have they told this story? And just as the same, the uh, the actors. Why do you why do you watch them? Why are they, why are they interesting? Because I think that quite often we isolate and glorify actors, and then forget about the rest of the process. You know, I think yeah. that I think that to really understand and to and to fall in love with the craft itself is the key here. You know, not just to um, uh, read a you know. The, you know hundreds of books on, on on hundred of monologue books, you know, these, these books that they, they, are like, they take up, right, 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 right. They, they take up these passages. Like I remember in like uh, in high school, when I was like preparing to graduate, they would give us these books of just like isolated monologues. And we'd have to like choose what we wanted to do from there. And it was just like the most like mind numbing thing to ever read because you are given these isolated passages, passages that have no context you know yeah and and, it, and it's like i think that part of the wonderful thing about acting is really absorbing <sighs> yourself into the story you know and, yeah. and and i think that that is um too easily forgotten uh and it's something that i didn't necessarily learn until much later on in my uh, development and my studies
0: no fair enough for, for me personally because i've got no experience in acting but i've got a cousin that's uh, ventured out into acting She you ends- She's currently an agent, I'm pretty sure. I need to check in again, see how she's doing over the Christmas period. Anyway, one of the point? Um, When it comes to what you were just talking about, like isolated portions of the overall acting um, plan, let's call it. Let's just call it that for the sake of conversation because I don't know really what I'm talking about. Um, But um, a monologue, for example. like I personally love the film American Psycho, so just based on what you were saying, to take it out of context, I could say, my name is Mason Deborah Smith and I live on the West Garden building of the 44th story of the tower. Uh, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I like to shower with you know, this, that, and the other thing. And that's like obviously the opening, well, it's an adaption of the opening scene, but it's completely out of context and it makes no sense. Is that
1: pretty much what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, I think that the, the I, it, like for instance, the way that drama is taught in school, you know, I, 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 I think that it's, um, it, we do something called an OSP, which is like a little written monologue that you need to write. And there's also a, uh, a monologue that you do from a play. And if I was doing something like that now, you know, I wouldn't start from the point of the monologue. And then, uh, if I was going to, I mean, there's, I suppose you could do it that way, But I think that what I remember about that period of my life is that my teacher didn't necessarily give us a whole bunch of plays and we're like, read these plays and then choose the monologue from the play. It was kind of like, read the monologues. And then if you want, go back and read the play (laughs) when it's, when it's like the, the play is the thing, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's so important. And I think that you could apply that same knowledge with context to a lot of things today that we, we, because with everyone's uh, well, at least, people keep saying it. I don't, I'm not sure if it's necessarily true, but everyone seems to think that our um, attention span is so, you know, uh, quick to be um, alerted and distracted that we think that news needs to be in these bite sized chunks. And it's yeah. a point that we lose the whole story and are rather given clickbait for our for our eyes constantly.
0: Yeah, I think a perfect example for me with that is clickbait, obviously the reason they do this is the world in terms of political opinion is so polarized. So let's just use that for example. You take Bernie Sanders out of context, complete buffoon. But you put him <laughs> on the Joe Rogan Yes, exactly, you complete the buffoon. But if you put him on the Joe Rogan podcast, why it's just like more full context oh so bernie sanders is a normal person so yeah it's like, you know, but he's so
1: but he's so passionate that people oh, yeah. can, <laughs> that people can use that against him and they just take the 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 10 second clip of him waving his fist <laughs> and you know? on- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, the uh, and uh, you know, like, I, I won't lie to you, mate. Like, I was I, I was and still am a big Bernie fan. But but you're right. If, if, you, if, if you saw, I think that, you know, he could perhaps be a bit on the nose and maybe he's an idealist. But, you know, that's it, it, I think that's also, to a certain extent, something to be admire, admired. Uh, but you're 100% right. If you took, like, a 15-second clip from a, an hour-long, like, speak that he's given, yeah. you take the 15 seconds where... Uh, and, you know, I, I, speak, I speak about this, but, I mean, you know, every, every corner of the, um, the political landscape does it. I mean, it even happens to Trump, you know. we Like, I'm, I'm, I, did you see the stuff about today about him getting impeached? Man, that shit is crazy.
0: I, yeah, I've, I've seen a
1: lot of it. I
0: really – I look at America this way because I see a lot of people that are attracted to the political scene as fragile, power-hungry egos that need to latch the system. So, for example, we're going to take American politics right now. You've got someone who is very much being corrupted um, through money and power in Trump individually. And then also the Democrats who are, have to group together. But they're equally as corrupt because they're just trying to go for the schoolyard bully. It's kind of like, you know, a group of teenagers in a schoolyard trying to get rid of the big bully Rather
1: than actually running their country, so yeah, it, 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 what what I find strange about the whole thing is that uh, it it feels like it feels like we're still in the first six months of his presidency to a certain extent. Like yes. like it, like <laughs> it, it feels like mind. it feels it feels like no time has passed, and we're okay. still back where we were in the very beginning. Like I've actually I've forgotten. Um, I've forgotten what the term is called, but there's just so many controversial moments that have happened sequentially that I've actually forgotten most of them. Yeah. i, 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 I kind of just become to become, like, immune to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, it's, it's really funny because it's, like, from the moment that he got in, it's like, okay, the press, for example, um, hate him, which I don't mind because, you know, a president needs to be kept accountable. That's fine. Um, but when it comes to the other side, I mean, come on. If you're going to do something, you're going to create a policy and then enact it, actually get something done. Having said that, running a country or anyone that aspires to do so or like lead anything in particular, I think it takes a tremendous guts to begin with. So I have full of credit for people that actually try and do the right thing and move their nation forward, but wow. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. It feels like we've gone just in circles with what's happening inside their, their
1: system. I th- it, it really, it, it, it does feel like we're just going around in circles. And I think it comes that it, there's a, when I try and think of like the reasoning behind it, I, the only thing that I can really come to is it's just that we're at a point now where there's such polarization, not just between people, uh, whether it's in America or internationally or whatever, but actually in the democratic machine itself, like it's it's come to a point now where it it people would rather make their votes based on party lines than actually what's yeah. right for the country, or, or or even personally be accountable for their own opinions. It's like individuals don't have opinions anymore. Your opinion is what the party's opinion is.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that's the funny thing because I, um, well, I, I live in Perth and uh, when it comes to me and uh, politics, it's funny because I'm 25. So it's kind of like a prime age for people in politics to kind of try and grab you. And it's kind of like, no, I don't think so because every time I've been to any kind of meetings, they're like, this is how you vote. I'm like, oh, okay, so I can't think for myself and I can't vote for myself. Or I can't, uh, you know, have a voice within a political party. Yeah, I don't think so. So, so yeah, it's, it's really, I agree with you. It's, it's really interesting to see how um, as soon as you get involved in the system, the system goes, well, no, if you want to stay with us, then you have to be on the winning team.
1: Yeah, it's about, that's what it's become, to be on the winning team rather than yeah. to do... It not not even just do what's right, you know, because that's just a matter of opinion. But just yeah. be accountable for your own opinion, you know, just to have your own opinion and be willing to speak it. But now if anyone speaks what they actually feel, they'll be shamed or thrown out of uh, the House or the Senate or the House of Representatives or even when it comes to Australian politics, you know, I feel like that's where... The majority of the world is at right now, where it's just this kind of pack mentality, this tribal nature, where if you have opinion, have an opinion of your own, then uh, you are squashed out, and it, 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 yeah. you're, you're, it, and and in a strange way, it actually stagnates progress.
0: It does, it does, and I find it, it's like, a, it's almost like a veil of political correctness, if you will, like it's, it's a veil of that which is pretty much masking personality it's it's masking any kind of essence of a human soul. It's really debilitating a watch because it's everywhere. And I'm not saying, when I say it's everywhere, I don't mean like it's a disease. I don't mean it's like you can't go behind closed doors with a mate, have a chat over a drink or have a podcast like this. But it really is interesting to see how just because a person might be reliant on a group or dependent on a group, therefore they feel as though they need to keep their lips sealed. Now, obviously, there's a time and a place for patience and silence, but there is growing tensions and the world is very polarised because you either have, and I've said this uh, at a a meeting with um, one of the investors of my startup uh, today, actually at the coffee house, I said to him, in order to get traction online, virality-wise, you need to either be, like, adored and loved or hated like Satan. Like, there's no way the other. It's so stupid to get right. that level of traction and impressions. It's just weird.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it goes back to the clickbait uh, thing we were talking about before. It's like, um, why do you click on something? You know, because yeah. either you're like, oh, shit, yeah, that's really good. I'm really about that. Or yeah. it's the exact opposite of that outrages me. I have to find out more about that because I'm so angry. And And yeah. if you have this, like, kind of, uh, middle ground, loftiness of um, indifference, then that's not, that's not where the money is, you know? So no, okay. but, but indifference
0: does, I think indifference is a good mindset to have for a lot of things, especially in this climate, because to be well, I, indifference and still care, it, it's a very interesting thing for me to explain, because for me, I find myself in situations where it's kind of like, I'm a young man. So especially the things that I want to do, it's kind of like, okay, well, credibility comes into question. So does age in terms of like skin of the game. So I find indifference keys into kind of like freedom of outcome. I know these sound like pseudo self-help and buzzwords, but if you kind of view it from a bird's eye view or like it's a chessboard, it is a lot easier because then you're not kind of trying to please an experienced head in business when it comes to, you know, you asking for amount of funds or or them viewing you as not being credible enough to
1: run your own business or do your own thing in life, how do you because I, I yeah that, that um imposter kind of syndrome um that is yeah, sure. plaguing the bloody planet or at least it's plaguing me at um every every which way uh, yeah it seems like as soon as I make a, um, a monumental uh stride forward in my career i 'm immediately met with uh Twenty different, you know, um, thoughts in my brain sure. telling me that oh, it's going to be taken away from me. Oh, they're I, going to find out you're not good enough. You know, all this stuff. Uh, How do you deal with yeah.
0: that? Dude? Uh, um.
1: Well, personally,
0: yeah, I, I go through that too. So what I will do is it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, writing. Mm-hmm. So I'll do what I call like now. I th- cathartically recommend that if you experience what Sam and I are talking about too commonly, then by all means seek help or go to, like, you know, beyondblue.com. But when if you have, what, you know, this kind of aspiration and drive like Sam and I do, um, and you get to the stage where you've got imposter syndrome and you've just, like, you've, you've succeeded at something, but you're at the cusp of that kind of success barrier, and then you get kind of negative thought overload. Let's just call it that for now. Let's yeah, no,
1: totally. That.
0: So what I'll do is I'll write down all these kind of insecure kind of like troublesome thoughts and then I'll kind of do whatever I need to do. This is all on paper. I'll write it all down and then I'll be like, I'll, I'll convince myself. I have to placebo affect my own mind. Is that possible? (laughs) Is it not (laughs) (laughs) the opposite of placebo? (laughs) (laughs) So I write, I write thought delete and then I'll just like scrunch it and throw it in the bin and then I'll self correct that and write down, the idea of who I am, where I'm going, the traits that I would like to spider to be so I can get slightly more comfortable with growth. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you uh, turn uh, them into a song, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, of course. Because that's kind of a strange way what I do as well is that, you know, I will... A lot of my writing, or at least musically, uh, I am pouring out my insecurities, you know, that's really what I'm doing. I'm, and then that word that I used before, alchemize, I really love because I, I, I think that what I'm doing, by not just writing about it, right, because that's just one stage of the process. Once it's done, and that's kind of something that's very um, fulfilling as well, is that crafting this uh, uh, thought, delete, uh, insecurity um, <laughs> Uh, and then turning that into some kind of um, crafted entity that I then perform over and over again, right? And the interesting thing about that is that I find performing a song about my insecurities just as empowering as performing a song where I am self-empowered and trying to pump myself up
0: absolutely which is very absolutely. strange like, you know because how often do you the ugly you know it's the, the wide eclectic range of what a human personality is it's like we, we can't be good all the time we can't be bad it's not binary you might have like some uh, yeah i agree with you yeah this is i um it's funny because it's uh, with human connection in general if you can kind of reveal insecurities it uh bolsters rapport Hundred percent, and you
1: that in, in like music festivals across the world when people start yeah. chanting, you know, lyrics of their favorite song, and I think that that experience brings people together. Uh, and that's and in, and to hear that as a, uh, I've only experienced this um, fleetingly in my um, short career thus far, but uh, when I have it is there's 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 no there's no real better feeling, dude. You know, because those those words have come out of your soul. And when other humans can connect to that and, and empathize with that and understand that, it not only makes the artist realize that they're not alone, but it also makes the listener realize they're not alone. And I think that's a powerful thing. And I think that that, that is why music is such a powerful force, because it is a way to bring people together through in a lot of ways, trauma it doesn't, it's not, it's not only, uh, I think isolated to trauma, but I think that, and obviously trauma is a vast spectrum, but I think that that is, you know, this, I mean, how many songs are there about lost love?
0: lot. Well, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, yeah. What was it? Uh, I think I've overheard a lot of musicians in interviews go, as soon as I write a song about being happy, that doesn't sell as much. So, like, so like, you know, let's, let's get depressing. Oh, they screwed me over this, you know, uh, say my name, say my name. Well, they, kind of, they, they, they seem to like all kind of, yeah, be molded like, out of this kind of experience of being cheated on or infidelity or, or just something going awry.
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I think that um, especially in uh, the world, where we live now where social media is constructing this um kind of like uh, it's always been there but now we have like a virtual platform of uh, these constructed personalities and personas uh and i think that when you hear a song where someone is being very vulnerable and real about their experiences it just kind of it's a wake-up call i think to to that reminds i'm only speaking for myself here yeah,
0: no, no, but I, I, but, I but, it, it. but
1: it it reminds me that you know I don't necessarily have to put on a show, put on an act, and I can remember that uh, you know the feelings that I have um, when I'm not feeling so great, they're they're normal and uh, they're um, temporary and they will eventually pass. You know, the, pre- the, the the present moment is fleeting, and I think we all too often we we forget that.
0: For sure. When it comes to, because we were just talking about digital identity, um, putting yourself out there as I'm a banker, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm an actor, I'm this, I'm that. I feel as though when it comes down to that, everyone in a way has an experience of acting because you think about it, you go into work, you behave a certain way. That is in itself, obviously it's, it's not the complete version of it, but it is a form of acting.
1: It's we're a form all actors, of all of us Right, right, day.
0: right. It's, it's, it's interesting to see how um, how our online identities kind of shape who we are. Because, for example, uh, everyone's had the experience of getting a new job. And then they like you know they, they go onto the LinkedIn or they go onto their Facebook and then they change the title. And it's almost like as if when you remove it, it's like, oof, it just like died and now I'm going on to the next kind of thing. It might, like if it was a better job than the last one, then obviously it would be like a more positive you would hope psychological kind of experience
1: but yeah i think that there's a definitely a feedback loop that takes place um and it's interesting the way different people construct their online personas and the reasoning behind that because i think that that's not something that's necessarily talked about a whole lot you know it's kind of like a, a kind of a solitary um experience that every individual kind of goes through where they are you know Writing their bio. What do I put on my bio? Like all this, and then and then they look at other people's bio, and it's like, oh, this person's done this. This person hasn't even put that they're an actor. They're just putting up. they there because because there's another. Um, I, I've recently been some of the inner chatter in my mind is so, I've kind of realized that a lot of the people who I uh, that I look up to who are doing great things with their career, I'll look on their say like their Instagram or something, and they won't have almost anything on their bio and it will just be like some kind of maybe like a little quote or something. And yeah. they just have the photos and all the captions of them doing the shit. Right. And right. they don't necessarily have to um, brand themselves or say, this is who I am. This is what I do. And right. take the exact opposite approach. They'll like other actor friends that I have, you know, they'll put their, um, who they're repped by. They'll have, um, maybe uh, like another company that they're, um, that they're starting or something like that, or they might even just have their, like their location on there, you know, where they're, where they're based or it's quite interesting to see how different people um, kind of go through that process. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah, so it's like the highlight reel, right? Like for me personally, I would love to see the day where everyone puts on their bio, I'm a human. And then we can all kind of connect in a way to, you know what I mean? Like everyone's just like, I, okay, so I'm either going to put nothing to prove that I'm content and I don't need to shout. On <laughs> yeah,
1: car, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. Go,
0: yeah. I'm the best thing in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's that, yeah. That's what, that's what I mean. It's like this, uh, cause then as soon as I see all these other people that just like, don't put anything on there, I'm just like, um, oh, I like, you know, just like, am I, am I completely insecure about like the lack of things that I'm doing that I have to just like slip right. them in form order of or this is who I am. This is, these are all the things that I do right. because, because it's a strange thing, right? I have so much writing, so many songs, so mm. many scenes, so much written material that I haven't released to into the world, right? So in my mind, I am all of these things right? Because I've done all of those things. I haven't necessarily gotten to the stage yet where I want to share them or that I think they're finished or um, that I have the, maybe the funds to necessarily um, make the short films or the films that I want to eventually end up making. But in my mind, I'm a director and I'm a, and I'm a writer, like I'm a writer in the sense that I'm a musician, but also a writer in the sense that I do want to go on to make short films and, and features and. Uh, it's like, at what, what type, point What type of, of short do? features?
0: What type of, uh, what are we talking? Oh, mate, where are we getting uh, oh, Where,
1: what, which, what did you say?
0: What, what type of short films or short features would you like to make? Like, what, is there any kind of topics you'd like to explore or?
1: Mate, I'm all about that black mirror. Oh, here, here we go. That's, that's <laughs> I, I think that's probably the, the biggest, um, I mean, I can go into a lot of different um, influences and I will. Uh, But the biggest one that I think um, hones in on the kind of work that I'd like to make, I I, I love Black Mirror. I think that it's genius. And I think that something along the lines of that meets Westworld, meets Breaking Bad, meets Avatar The Last Airbender, um, meets... I'm just watching a show at the moment called Too Old To Die Young. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't heard of that
0: one specifically.
1: It's... it's, uh, A show. Well, it's 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 directed and written by a guy named Nicholas Winding Refn. I think that's how you pronounce okay. his name. He's the same guy that directed Drive, right, with uh, Ryan Gosling. And it, I am a massive fan of that uh, that show in particular, just because of the minimalist dialogue and the crazy music, with the uh, beautiful um, cinematography. But he's just released a. a uh, it's a show that is, I think there's like eight or nine, eight, eight, nine, ten episodes, but all of the episodes are an hour and a half long, so like feature-length films. Right, yeah. Uh, so, it's, so it's very interesting the way that media and entertainment is kind of being, I think we're really seeing a revolution in terms of entertainment with all the different streaming platforms. Um, Netflix kind of led the charge, but now you, know, you have Amazon Prime, you have Disney+, Plus, you have Stan+. all all of these different platforms that are it's It's, good and in the end everyone is going to win because of it um there will be more money thrown into the industry there will be more um choice of content for the consumer like and i think the what's interesting about this show in particular is that it's a tv show but you could also say that it's a film series you know i mean like each episode is an hour and a half long and the uh, this long-form storytelling where everyone can just binge, 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 I think is the uh, – you wouldn't have seen anything like this f- 10 or even five years ago. So I just think it's interesting the way that you know our content is changing and the creators are becoming um, – there's less uh, stringent requirements um, for how to release content because the amount of avenues that, that creators have access to – has exponentially and is continuing to be exponentially growing
0: it is and in terms of content creators so you've got youtube you've got for him, uh, luminary you've got apple podcast but so many so many avenues and there's like non-traditional and traditional media that have opened up i was looking at a, a tom belly who is like a, the owner of quest bar
1: yeah um, loves, i was watching
0: yeah. one of his podcasts
1: impact Theory, he's great
0: yeah great right He was also interviewing uh, John Travolta. And I looked at the amount of views. I looked at the amount of views, Sam, on that video. Nothing into what I thought it would be. And that just goes to show that because of this eclectic uh, range of access to media at our fingertips, uh, free and paid and streaming, that, um, well, there's less attention on people that we think or who I personally think. I think John Travolta is an amazing actor. (laughs) But... He'd probably get more traction on Netflix than YouTube.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, because I like it. It's, it's, there's almost this, uh, we see, we're seeing like a, like a, a wonderful rise in the amount of podcasts that are being released. But then also, um, I could draw parallels between what Tom Blue does on Impact Theory and then also what, say, Joe Rogan does on YouTube. You know, both of them are YouTube content created. Um, series and uh, i could listen to you know impact theory in the same way as a podcast as i could a vlog you know of someone uh, or it's just, just like in, in a, um, a visual kind of context um but going back to our earlier uh kind of um point about clickbait and uh, this kind of long form content i think that one of the main reasons why joe rogan and perhaps um, Tom Blue in this case as well, not quite to the same extent, but I think that he's in himself growing um, quite uh, rapidly as well. Um, I think that audiences are craving that kind of long form storytelling, long form, um, uninterrupted, not edited uh, way of viewing media you know because i think yeah. that everything yeah. today is so edited and crafted and meticulously put together that when you have a 2 hour long conversation between two people similar to what we're doing now is sure. i think that there's something that's beautifully authentic about that and i think that that's something that is a breath of fresh air in 2020 this breath of
0: fresh air and i i have this view on it i'm not sure if i am just going to put it out there, see what you think about this view of, uh, why podcasts and long form conversations seem to be so popular is Sam, if you think of it from like a bird's eye perspective, if you're like looking at like a metropolis, uh, metropolis, yeah, a metropolitan like city. Um, and then you are looking at everyone on their smartphones, they're all, you know, hooked to their smartphones because of the validation that it gives them, the appreciation, anything that they need psychologically. And then you kind of go, okay, why would podcasting be so popular? It's because human beings are lacking um, face-to-face communication. I mean, this has been conducted via Zoom conference call. And that alone is like, still, it's like, this is a good conversation, don't get me wrong. But if we were like in the same geographic location, I could literally just, you know, share a coffee right now. Or I could like, you know, knock your legs foolishly like a cheeky lad and just go, hey, you know what I mean? Like, this is still good, but human beings, I think, are really missing that kind of like you said authentic, real and and very much unfiltered conversation because it's like going back to what we were saying earlier, I used the example, I think I coined it like the the veil of political correctness, which is is kind of um keeping us all civilized, i suppose
1: <laughs> I think that uh unfiltered is. Um, definitely the word to hone in on there. That's, um, yeah. that's, I think the, that's something that is severely lacking in, um, whether it's a political context, um, or, uh, even in, uh, with social media and the constructed kind of, um, personalities that we see, um, Sweeping across the landscape of the internet, but I mean, do you are you, are you a fan of uh, Joe Rogan, mate? Do you do you, do you get around his his stuff?
0: I, I am a fan of Joe Rogan. Just let you know, um, my computer's on nineteen percent. So for the viewers, uh, that's completely on my behalf. I'm just letting uh, Sam know. By the way, I can, I'm going to connect my laptop to a um, computer. But when it comes to Joe Rogan, Sam, I want your thoughts whilst I connect my laptop. Yeah, sure, mate, go ahead. Um, what's your thoughts on Joe being his politics? Because I think that, and I'm just going to put this thought out there and try and stir the pot here a little bit. Do you think, Joe, when he says, I'm just talking here, do you think that's his political talking point? I'm just going to connect my Joe. Yeah,
1: go ahead. Um, I'm just talking here. I mean, geez, there's so many different ways that can be interpreted, right? Uh, I think that perhaps when I when I hear that, um, what it makes me think of is, I mean, very simply, just free speech. You know, it, it, it's it's I think it's his it's his right to just be able to just have a chat, uh, and uh, I think it's you know. Um, To a to a certain extent, it's it's almost like uh, he's alluding to you know what's the harm you know what's the harm I'm just like we're just talking here we're just like having we're just uh, giving our opinions about something it's not necessarily going to start a revolution it's not necessarily going to uh, have any tangible change or impact except in the minds of people I mean because that's what he's that's what he's doing he brings in these people to try and bring voices to the masses that otherwise would not have had the same kind of platform to use their voice and talk about the things that they talk about. And often these people are on the fringe of um, perhaps the academic community or, uh, I mean, a great, great example um, is uh, oh bloody hell. I've forgotten his name now. He's the, he's the, um, Archaeologist. um, What does he do? He, Greg, Han, Hancock, Hancock, Graham Hancock. I got there. Man, the, 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 the wheels were turning on that one. Graham Hancock, he is a wonderful, wonderful author and speaker. I recommend um, if you Google him on, uh, either Google him or go on to YouTube, and he has a, uh, a TED talk about the use of psychedelics in, uh, in the context of healing and how they can be used and how um, really it is the right of every sovereign individual on this planet to claim ownership over their own consciousness and how um, psychedelics have been used. have really been, uh, there's been a lid that's been put on psychedelics and a lot of other things in the context of uh, the drug war, um, the the war on drugs. Um, Yeah. And uh, that's... He's trying to empower people and give them the facts and give them um, uh, the
0: notion that it could be used as like a cathartic release in a way.
1: Yeah, not, and not just a cathartic release, mate, but really a consciousness-expanding substance that can help heal um, uh, individuals in the case of depression or with um, substance abuse or any number of things that we never really will know the true impact that these plants. And uh, you know it goes back to um, uh, he also talks about psilocybin mushrooms and um, all the potential benefits that these um, uh, that these substances can eventually have if there were less restrictions on their medical applications um, and I think that he is a prime example of someone who is on the fringe and within the academic community is, you know, thrown uh, Ross and eggs at, but has a very powerful message behind him. And I think that if, um, and it's one that a lot of people um, should spend a little bit of time thinking about. And I think that without Joe, he would not have had nearly the amount of opportunity to speak to some of these things uh, that he has been able to because of Joe.
0: It's funny because, like you should mention that the, the outside of the box or the fringe or whatever you want to call it of society um, is uh, is largely ignored. I personally, for example, I'm going to take my experience. Currently, I've got nothing wrong with uh, the entrepreneurial scene. Uh, I'm just going to go very broad. Let's just say it's in Australia to protect the people that I'm um, inferring about here. Um, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I don't like. I don't like uh, getting in a room. For the people that are starting their own business, and us all going, "Oh, you're amazing!" or "You're good!" or "This is a new thing," this is a new meditation thing, this is a new great thing, because I find it's much more productive to just well sit alone in a room, pen and paper, internet connection. This is the problem. All right, what are the steps I need to take? Short term, long term, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and get it done on your own terms, because the world's greatest plan will not work unless you do. So I realized that in order to lead a team, you do need to be connected with the team and communicative. But at the same time, I'm finding it very much an easier approach um, personally, although uh, I suppose a more mentally tough road to take just doing it on your lonesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I think that... This is what I'll say to that. I think that I would a one hundred percent take doing it on my own overdoing it with people that I don't think are compatible with um, you know the mission that I want to um, seek out or people that I don't necessarily gel well with or people that um, aren't in it for the same reasons as me. Uh, I think that building a team is the most important thing that anyone can do in any context around them whether they're creating a company or whether they're um, starting a band or whether they just want to have a little bit of a shake-up in their friendship circle you know I think that uh, the people that we spend our time with are hugely important and uh, you, I mean, there's that, no, I, I don't know who says it, but um, there's the saying, you know, you are the people, the five people that you spend the most time with. And I think that's hugely true in this case. And I would definitely take the role of um, going out on my own over kind of settling in that instance. But I do think that we all stand on the shoulders of giants um, and that no one in history has done anything um, by themselves. Uh, there's no, e- even 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 um, uh, the greatest minds on the planet have had people to lean on, whether it was just their parents or a friend or you know, some people that might not be in the history books, you know. Yeah. It's, but, it's, any, but every but everyone does have someone, you know, and uh, and and whether that's one person, five people, or ten people, or even a hundred people, in the case of, um, uh, I know but you, you could look at. Um, you know, Steve Jobs and the yeah. empire that he has created. Mm. I wonder how many people in that company, and this is purely conjecture. I have no idea the answer to this question, yeah. but I wonder how many people in the, behind the closed doors of Apple in the very beginning he had that he could really turn to in a tough spot versus the amount of people that he had five years before he died.
0: Jobs is very interesting because obviously he had uh, well he had, oh, he was pretty much forced uh, to, he was an orphan I'm pretty sure, right? Growing up I'm pretty sure, like I looked at the movies, uh, growing up he didn't really have his parents uh, around him at a young age. So I suppose there's that kind of like uh, search by the way, correct me in the comments below if you, if I'm getting that incorrect with Steve Jobs. Actually, well. I actually didn't.
1: I actually didn't know that. That's so that's interesting.
0: Really- yeah, I think I'm watching some of the movies. It's kind of like um, he was, uh, I watched the Ashton, Ashton Kutcher movie. And there's also the mm. Michael Fassbender movie where they. It's Australian- crazy
1: how much Ashton Kutcher looks like him. Hey, at that age.
0: Right, right. Spooky, spooky. Really and he's spooky. going. He's just sitting um, under the tree and he's talking about um, his relationship. Um, and the fact that he was, like, not wanted um, for his biological parents. And oh, it makes me wonder if, like, that. this kind of grandiose kind of vision that kind of moulded Apple, that perhaps the psychological driving force behind it might have been his
1: need for
0: um, for validation, for meaning, because he didn't get it from biological
1: parents. I yes, guess. I mean, With- that's a... That's a uh- that's an interesting proposal. I think that. Um, that I hope I'm that, I hope we're getting that
0: right. By the way, if someone was, no, someone I, was like, I, I, uh,
1: I think I, I think I do remember something um, along those lines. I'd completely forgotten that. Really told me the that. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: but I, I, I think that our parents are monumental figures in our upbringing, and if someone is starved of that attention and support then that can have huge impacts on their brain's development and it could create a driving force in someone from a very young age to perhaps go out and accomplish uh, to a scale that someone who might have had that support growing up doesn't necessarily feel the same need to strive towards i think that's a it's a it's a fair enough statement i i don't know if that's the only thing that uh contributed to it but i think it would certainly have been a big a big a big part in it
0: yeah yeah no exactly exactly so um for yourself personally do you see in terms of like the whole nature nurture thing in psychology right with projects like acting roles or writing or anything that you I suppose, are drawn towards. Do you ever get that moment where you kind of like think to yourself, oh, damn it, that's, that's something that I was shown by my parents. Oh, oh damn it, that's like something that uh, um, biologically I, I am predisposed to and that's why I'm latching onto that book or that film or that that song. Do you ever get that feeling where you're just like, oh, damn it, I'm actually self-aware to the point where I'm like, that's exactly why I like what I like and I can't get away from myself. Do you know what I mean? Sort of? <laughs> Yeah,
1: nature versus nature versus nurture is a hard one mate. It's uh it's something that I um have thought about a lot in my writing actually and trying to grapple with um the kind of seesaw of um uh that's at, that's at play constantly. Um I think that for a, if I'll I'll go out on a limb here, like we have been in this conversation and say that perhaps um, because we don't necessarily know too much about nature and genetics and ancestry and that that is still a field of um, science that is developing, that for a large part, Nurture is, I think, something that is perhaps talked about more, but in a strange way is also harder to measure. I mean, how do you measure nurture? What are the metrics behind nurture? Um, Apart from just an interrogation on the relationships that someone would form throughout their early life and and beyond. Um, I think that it's a feedback loop and that when we start to learn more about one, it will give us input on the other. But as to which one kind of uh, comes out on top, I think perhaps this is kind of a cop-out answer, but I think it would change um, depending on the individual.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. So obviously you define on your LinkedIn bio uh, yourself as a futurist. Who is your like favourite futurist? If you had to pick between, let's say, uh, think about it. Who's the author of that book? Uh, H. G. Wells and Elon Musk. Who's a better
1: futurist? I will out myself and say that H. G. Wells is someone I have only just recently learnt about. Um, okay. I'm still going through uh, exactly. I think I um, I have like you know maybe five or ten tabs. Uh, um, either open or in a bookmark somewhere that I'm yet to, yet to go through. Uh, but I think that no matter who the second person is, I would have said Elon Musk. <laughs> so it's kind of a moot point, really. Uh, Elon is a, a man who... I don't think there's probably anyone else on the planet who's inspired me more.
0: Fair enough, fair enough,
1: fair enough. Um, why, does, why, got- do you, why
0: does he inspire you? Oh, oh Elon? Yeah. I think Elon is a perfect example of someone that's gone through a lot of bullying in South Africa. and uh, got beaten up prolifically. Uh, his father, also, uh, well, according to what's online, I don't want to say anything defamatory. But- yeah, no, you're right.
1: I read his um his uh, book that Ashley Vance um wrote, and uh, yeah, he he went through he went into it in um in detail. So you're spot on.
0: I think he uses that experience um, to, I suppose, check in with himself and say, hey, uh, everything that I've accomplished so far is far better than where I've come from. It's like a perfect example of kind of the phoenix rising from the ashes type of thing. However, I must admit, um, I feel like with Elon, he's sometimes... Too much of an internet troll, I guess. Just when it comes to you, know, just his his PR, but uh, that works in his favor for his marketing. So he saves on marketing for being the uh, the type of visionary or or a leader that he is. Yeah,
1: I think that an interesting thing about Elon is that marketing is almost non-existent in a lot of his companies. It's quite interesting. Uh, he I think I've heard him say a number of times that, you know, put into marketing what you put into the quality of the product or service that you're trying to uh, conjure up, manifest, and that that will be far more impactful and, um, yeah, it'll be far more impactful uh, in the long run and and, and will get you where you want to be far, I want to say quicker, far quicker than if you put in that same amount of effort in marketing, you know, if you, because really what I think he's saying there is just that word of mouth is the greatest asset that any company can really hope to, um, to leverage. Um, and, uh, the coolest thing about word of mouth is, is that it isn't isolated. I think that's probably something that people quite often forget is that word of mouth isn't necessarily you and me in person talking about something that interests us. Word of mouth is actually also the, um, is, is social media, except the difference is, is that people are doing the work for them they don't have to have these massive social media online campaigns because the people who really care and the people who really love their service or their product will flog it for them, you know? And, 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 and perhaps, and and perhaps they do that because of all the uh, applications and the resources that go into just making it a better service, a better product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to, what you're talking about is the, the valuable perception of a brand like Coca-Cola or Apple or Microsoft. Is. They create a very good structure, a very good story, if you will, behind the product and aesthetically. Why do you think
1: my, you think my, uh, my tagline is narrative design, mate? You, know, like that's, you Because there I you think go. narrative design really is branding. It's the story <laughs> of the company. It is the story of the company. It's also it's, it's the difference between, let's say,
0: I don't know what, what's a good example here. Let's just let's just compare, for example, Toyota and Tesla. Now, obviously, Toyota is very accommodative to the Australian market. There's a lot of Toyotas that sell. However, Tesla, because of Elon and his online presence and global following, is able to show people alternative ways to use automobiles, and I suppose it can also give you a peek into the looking glass of self-driving cars, whereas, oh, what a feeling still works, um, but it accommodates to a different section of the market.
1: I mean, can you think of uh, an alternative to the tagline of, oh, what a feeling, just something that Tesla said? Do you, does Tesla have like a tagline like that? Um,
0: probably, uh, I stole everything from <laughs> Tom Edison.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember seeing that one recently, it was a good ad. Uh, like, I think that that in itself is, that speaks volumes, that's so powerful that you don't even need a, a tagline. You don't yeah. even you don't even need it because the brand is so powerful that uh, you just need to see that T and you know everything. You yeah. and it's that it's that uh, there will be people in Australia. I saw a Tesla in Melbourne the other week, right? That's driving just around the city, and the person that would buy a Tesla in Australia, they must be either loaded i like absolutely loaded or that they just care i mean it's kind of maybe both you know i, I think it would have to be both the amount of uh, money it would take to like, get a tesla over here because the there's not many um, chains i think there's one in the entire of um, victoria but the infrastructure that is lacking in comparison to america i mean the because the whole, the whole the main reason why I would want to get a Tesla is obviously for, you know, the helping the planet, electric cars, amazing for that. But just for practicality's sake, you need charging stations. Yeah, you do. You need, you need them. And there's almost none in Australia in comparison to what they've built in America so far. So I think that the, the asset is just as um, valuable as the infrastructure that um, enables it and vice versa um and that at the and at the moment that's like practically non-existent in australia so the level of uh the level of impact that a brand needs to have on an individual to go out on a limb and make that investment when the infrastructure isn't quite there yet is huge you know i i think that they that's like I mean, don't get me wrong, they're a wonderful looking car. And I've been in, I've, I've stepped inside one just because there was like a pop-up um, little stand somewhere and I, uh, I was um, too curious. So I had to step in and have a look at the techno and it's, and it's really a sight to behold. I mean, stepping into one of these machines is like, the future has arrived, Mason. Yeah, it has. And, uh, even, and we are living it. For
0: sure. Even if we'd like it back, let's just go all the way back to horse and cart. And just before the, you know, Henry Ford got in and, you know, made sure that the automobile industry was established, you just imagine that conversation. So Henry's like, all right, so uh, we're going to toss away the horse and car. We're going to create cars. But by the way, when we've got those cars, we're going to have to create gas stations. Everyone would have looked at him like it was nuts. Exactly. Kind
2: of,
0: Elon Musk and, you know, his electric cars and the infrastructure that needs to be put in place there. It's kind of like that, uh, Uh, Very relentless visioneering, which is uh,
1: rare. And the choice, the choice to make those charging stations free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a choice that will go down in history as being, I think, one of the most important uh, leaps, quantum leaps in. I don't even know how to describe it. It's not the gasoline industry. How would you describe a gas station that's like, a, it's a charging station. It's, a, it's something different now. Like, I mean, imagine, imagine living in the world where gas stations were free.
0: Well, I mean, I can't imagine it. I can't. Well, I can't imagine it, no. But I mean, the Rockefeller um, descendants wouldn't be happy about that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, well,
2: and-
1: <laughs> I, I suppose maybe we lived in a... a Maybe it's a it's a, just a different kind of thing because there's there's obviously a limited amount of resources on um, the amount of you know gas that you can kind of all of the the, the natural um, kind of commodities that uh, have made um, America as rich as it is. Um, there is a finite number of them in the world, whereas you know the the practical applications of electricity are not necessarily in the same boat. So perhaps they're kind of, uh, it's like comparing apples and oranges.
0: It is, it is, it is like comparing apples and oranges. So we have got about 10 minutes before we wrap up the podcast, got somewhere else to be, namely my desk and namely more research. Um, and I'm um, so. <laughs> more, more stuff to do back at the house, chilling out over there in the gold coast. I suppose before I, um, conclude, I love to do this with guests. Um, so, cause Siri, we're both, uh, looking through the world through our own eyes and trying to engage into the future. Uh, how do you see the next one to two years going for yourself? And if you want to, we can explore that how the next uh, few years will go at large if we want to go that
2: way.
1: Most of my conversations tend to go to the world at large rather than myself. Um, yeah. I, For myself, mate, what my hopes are, I've been trying actually to um, eradicate the word hope and try out of my vocabulary. So that's um, something that I'm obviously still working on. Uh, The plan is that I would like to star in some kind of uh, streaming platform series. Um, That's where I see the future of entertainment going and that's where I think the best content is being created currently. Um so I'd really um like to find myself on um a show that I can really get behind that I really love and that I fall in love with the the writing and um that i hope uh whether that is one that's already established or something new that comes along um in terms of acting that's what i that's what i uh am gunning towards myself um I almost said hope but I didn't um and uh in terms of the directing i would like to um aim towards doing a few music videos um next year um for some bands that i love i would like to direct some um some music videos and uh, continue writing this short film that i'm um that i'm uh, i've been working on for the past year and uh, which will be kind of uh, almost like a precursor to the feature that I um, would like to make um, in the coming uh, two years. Uh, and uh, but having said all of that, the, thing that the main thing that I've been um, working on is quite a hectic music release schedule that I've been um, concocting, uh, scheming, uh, boiling over the last um, maybe seven or eight months. My plan, Mason, is to release and this is a hot topic here. This is a hot scoop. This is uh this is the first time I'm I'm mentioning this to anyone. Um,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Uh and uh, I think that it won't be something that I necessarily uh bring up again um until I'm maybe halfway through the process. So to cut to the point, my plan is that over the last four years, I've written about,
2: about 60,
1: 60 or so songs. And uh, the idea is, is that I would like to release those in a consistent a consistent release schedule that over time will turn into an exponential climb uh, so it starts off quite gradual and quite, uh, um, uh, like perhaps something like one song a month, right. And that goes on for a year and a half. And then towards the end, when, uh, maybe it's like the last kind of six months in this process. So towards, um, the beginning of the year, 2022, the release in that music will exponentially grow and I'd like to drop around maybe two or three albums in one year. Okay. So, so that the music release schedule mimics that if you were to plot out all of the songs that I'd release in like a graph, say, if you zoomed out in a macro scale, then it would look like a exponential growth. Climb. I see.
0: So you've got all of the, uh, the cards in your deck and you're going... Boom, boom,
1: boom, boom. And it's like a prolonged, very like uh, marathon like poker game. Yeah, it's it, that, Yeah, um, yeah, poker, chess, all those, um, all those comparisons for sure. And the, the reason I'm doing that is because I think in the world that we live in currently of um, 2019, is that we are constantly inundated with new material, new content on Spotify, Apple Music, all these different streaming platforms. And I'm seeing it now across a lot of the artists that I look up to is that the only way to really stay relevant, the only way to really build consistent growth is to release content consistently and a, at a high quality and to release a lot of material in one go. So the idea is, is to build that it, uh, that consistent growth over a long period of time so that all the algorithms in the Spotify and everything kind of get the idea of like, okay, this guy's going to, this is something we can project for the future. And then once I have kind of built that audience um, with acoustic demos, which will be a lot of what this uh, first 18 months will consist of is just the songs that I will eventually go on to release in other forms. But at the start, they'll just be these acoustic demos. And then when it gets into the uh, information explosion, if you will, that's when I'll start releasing stuff at a much higher quality that is produced, that is perhaps with a band. Um, so I'm trying to let these areas of technology that have inspired me so to kind of feed into other areas of interest that I have. Um, and. Uh, let's almost this uh, coming age of the singularity uh, and I'm sorry to drop that bomb on you at the very end we could have talked about the singularity I'm sure for hours but yeah but but to use that coming sentiment that I think the end of the 2020s and the beginning of the 2030s will bring and to kind of Mm. echo that through my music and uh, 'Cause I think that's something that a lot of us need to start thinking about.
0: In fact, yeah, thank you. And thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hey Mason.:
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mason.
0: No problem. All right, cool. And just click off record, man, at your end, and then
2: that's done.